Greetings, Ragbag Alliance. Please consider supporting this podcast by buying one or more of my books, A History of Sarcasm, 100 and Everything I Am. Even if you've read them all already, buy them for someone else and spread the word. They're really good books. All the details at frankburton.co.uk. If you fancy getting something else free of charge, I highly recommend the Ragbag Rambler video series. It really is one of the best things I've ever done. If you like this podcast, you would definitely like the Ragbag Rambler. Again, the only place you can see these videos is at frankburton.co.uk. I'm not on social media. I'm not on YouTube. This is all pretty much all under the radar and I think that's a good thing. I think this is like our little secret. But also, if you could tell everyone that you know about it, that too would be great. Cheers. Welcome to Rag Bag. My name's Frank Burton. How's it going? We got some great stuff lined up for you. Another instalment of The Man Who Gets Things Wrong. I'm actually going to do it this time. Plus, we'll be talking to Leanne Kelly from the band New Spell. So my interview with Leanne from New Spell is coming up in the second half of the show. If you're yet to hear New Spell's music, it's going to be right up your street. How do I know that? Well, I think they're one of those bands who just have that kind of universal appeal. If you like music, you will like New Spell. Here's one of the things she's going to be saying to me. If you're a creative person... Like you are a creative. It doesn't matter who's looking. It doesn't matter, um, you know, how many people are streaming it. Um, if you are a creator, you have to create. It's just part of who you are. And I don't think that, you know, the numbers should dissuade anybody from creating. Papillion has been in touch with a joke, actually. Either it's a joke or it's a cry for help. I'm not sure which. Papillion says, I absolutely hate my boss. He's a bully. He's incompetent. He laughs at his own bad jokes. He has absolutely no redeeming features. I could kill him sometimes. P.S. I'm self-employed. Then he adds, and I'm quoting verbatim here, Ha 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 ha. Which suggests he's trying to be funny, but I still think there might be some major issues here, you know what I mean? So what I've done for you, Papillion, is I've referred you on to a specialist mental health surface. Surface? That's a good one. I've referred you on to a specialist mental health surface in your area. They will be in touch soon. Say, don't you need a doctor's recommendation for that, Frank? Well, Ordinarily, yes, but the interesting thing is, 
The last time I went to the doctors, I couldn't help noticing the keystrokes my GP was making while he logged himself onto the NHS intranet system. So I've got his username and password now. I also happen to have his signature from an old prescription, so I've got that too. Technically, I'm just repeating things that my doctor has already told me, so I'm not breaking any laws, right? If anyone else wants any kind of medical referral, please do let me know, UK listeners only. I have the means to do so. Also, I can now countersign passports and officially declare you unfit for work if playing hockey is your jam. (laughs) If playing hockey is your jam. I think that's the best line that I have ever come up with on this show, just so that you know. I've had a few people get in touch about the notebook that was stolen. Some of the... (laughs) If playing hockey is your jam. (laughs) I've had a few people get in touch about the notebook that was stolen. Some of them just say something like, I'm sorry to hear you lost your notebook. Nice of (laughs) you. Nice of you to say. (laughs) Nice of you to say. (laughs) Nice of you to say, but that's not really going to bring my notebook back, is it? Sorry to sound harsh. I think the loss of the notebook has made me a little frustrated. Chuzzlewit has been in touch to say, Sorry to hear you've lost your notebook. I'll be sure to keep an eye out for it. Long shot, I know. But what colour is it? What colour is it? That's a good question. Oh, well, it's blue. Obviously, it's blue, yeah. Or maybe red. Or yellow. It's either one of the primary colours or it's one of the secondary colours. I'm not ruling out the possibility that it's a tertiary colour. It could just be one colour, or it could be multi-coloured. Maybe it has a plain cover, or maybe it has a pattern design on the front, or a picture. In answer to your question, I can't remember what colour it is. Okay? I know you asked what size it was too, Chuzzlewit, and I can't remember that either. I'll have to check with Benedict. Actually, hang on. I just remembered there's a caption on the front cover written in thick black marker pen. So at the very least, we've established that the cover is light enough to be written on in black pen. It's not a black cover. That much we know. The caption says, Frank and Benedict's secret robbing diary. I thought it was a funny thing to call it because it's not really a diary, is it? Everything else is accurate. It's a secret book about robbing. There's a subtitle in smaller lettering underneath saying something like the plans for the robbery that we are definitely going to carry out by Frank Burton and Benedict Cumberbatch. That was a joke as well. Of course, the joke being that we have no intention of carrying the robbery out. But this explains why I haven't reported it missing to the police. You see what I mean? A few of you asked about that too. It doesn't look good, does it? It looks like a clear omission of culpability. I don't think the fact that we wrote it is illegal in itself, 
unless it's you know unless it turns out that planning a bank heist actually is illegal i haven't looked into that yet anyway i think i'm going to stop talking about all this now i'll probably just edit this part out unless i forget let's have a tune chapter three of the man who gets things wrong is on the way
Right, here we go with chapter three of my new work in progress novel, The Man Who Gets Things Wrong. I was supposed to read it out last week, but I ended up spending a lot of time introducing it. Then I got distracted by some stuff, some things I'm not allowed to talk about anymore, concerning someone, a person. Anyway, let's not get into that. Let's get straight on with chapter three of The Man Who Gets Things Wrong. Very quick recap for those of you who didn't hear the first two chapters. You don't need to have heard them, it's fine. The recap might also be useful to anyone who heard the first two chapters and then forgot what happened. You know, this is why they have recaps in TV shows and stuff. All apart from my own TV show, Everyone's Been Murdered, for which there will be no recap, because the whole thing's a recap. You may have heard me mention it on a previous episode. For those of you who didn't hear that particular episode, I'm not going to recap for that. I can't do a recap for everything. We better get on with a recap for The Man Who Gets Things Wrong because already this is becoming yet another overblown introduction and we have a lot to get through. So here's the recap. Chapter 1, The Man Who Gets Things Wrong, who, as his name suggests, is a man who gets things wrong, gets suspended from his job as a primary school teacher because of some things that he got wrong. Nothing sinister, he just got some facts wrong, like the definition of the word incorrigible. All innocent stuff. He's a very innocent man. Unassuming. Sometimes he does assume things, but he tends to make the wrong kind of assumption, hence the name. Chapter 2. The man who gets things wrong somehow manages to land himself a job interview as creative director for a large multinational company. Apparently he's decided to treat his tendency to get things wrong as a strength rather than a weakness, and he actually uses that as the basis for his argument that he's the man for the job. And then we come to chapter 3. Spoiler alert, he's got the job. We're leaping straight into it. Another thing you'll notice about chapter 3, there's a love interest now. I'll say no more about it. You'll get the idea. Here we go. Chapter 3. The man who gets things wrong looked out at the view from his 37th floor window. He'd been in this new position for two weeks now. Still, he couldn't help marvelling at the view and marvelling at the situation he now found himself in. Creative director. He'd aced the interview panel, incorrectly chanting the names of the chemical elements. When he was told he was seriously misquoting the periodic table, he bellowed, Of course I am. I'm being creative. A few days into his new job, the man who gets things wrong decided to call an old school friend. Her name was Imelda Van Marsh. He literally hadn't seen her since the age of 16. He'd had a crush on her at school and had always been too shy to talk to her. She probably wouldn't remember him. His was just another face in the crowd. He didn't quite understand his reasons for calling her now. He wanted to impress her with the fact that he was creative director of a large company. You know, I'll have to think of an actual name for the company at some point. Well, our listeners, I can't keep calling it a large company. And it'll have to be a fictional company, which is always slightly clunky in my opinion. And it's like, he's chief operating officer of Shadowsoft. He's an important guy. And you're like, yeah, sure, Shadowsoft. That's a real company. I'll probably end up giving it a stupid name like that because in its own way, Shadowsoft is a plausible name because companies often have stupid names. And if they don't have a stupid name, they just have a random word that has nothing to do with anything, like Apple or Virgin or Bench. Plant Pot. There's no company called that, as far as I know, but there could be. What the hell? Let's call it that. Let's call it Plant Pot. 
in many ways it's more plausible than something like Shadowsoft or whatever because most company names just make you go Bleh? So plant pot it is then. Where were we? The man who gets things wrong didn't quite understand his reasons for calling Imelda. He wanted to impress her with the fact that he was creative director of Plant Pot. That much was true. But why was he actually calling her? Possibly because it was the wrong thing to do, and he was embracing that side of himself now. The strategy seems to be working out well for him so far. It had got him the job. Maybe now this same strategy would help him get the girl of his dreams. God, God, say, get the girl. That's a horrible expression, isn't it, listeners? You used to hear that all the time. It's there in the old films still. No one's edited that out yet. Get to the girl. There's something really olden days about that concept, isn't there? About men winning women as prizes. Oh, don't get me wrong. I'm going to leave it in there because it's the wrong thing to say. And the man who gets things wrong, well, that's kind of his thing. So he called Imelda Van Marsh and he said, Hi, is that Imelda Van Marsh? She said, I used to be called that. My married name is Imelda Burroughs. How can I help you? My name is the man who gets things wrong, said the man who gets things wrong. You might remember me from school. Kind of, she said. How did you get my number? I asked my assistant to find it. I hope you don't mind. What do you want? I just thought now might be a good time to get in touch. I know we weren't friends in school, but I thought we could be friends now. Platonic friends, you know, seeing as you're married, apparently. So, you're saying you prefer some kind of romantic relationship, but you better not pursue that because I have a husband. I suppose that's what I'm saying, but one thing you have to bear in mind with me is, I'm the man who gets things wrong. You're really not selling this idea of friendship particularly well, if I'm honest, she said. Just give me the opportunity to win you round, he said. I've recently become the creative director of Plant Pot. We're doing some really great creative things here at Plant Pot. Plant Pot is a really vibrant place to be right now. For no good reason, he added the words, in the current climate. So, how do you intend to win me round, she said. I'd just like to invite you to come and spend some time at my workplace. I can sign you in as my guest and you can just come and hang out and check out all the cool, creative things we're doing at Plant Pot right now. I have my own job, you know, she said. I can't just take time out from that just for some guy I went to school with. I'll tell you what, he said. Where do you work? I'm a teacher, she said, primary school. Whoa, he said. That's what I used to do. That's amazing. Anyway, all I will need to do is call the head teacher at your school. I'll let them know that I'm proposing some kind of ideas exchange program. I haven't figured out the details yet. I'm just talking off the top of my head. But I won't need to try too hard because as soon as they hear I'm the creative director of Plant Pot, they'll be like, wow, you guys are doing some really cool creative things. We'd love to do an ideas exchange with you. And so that's what happened. The man who gets things wrong made that call to Imelda's school and that's exactly what the head teacher said. And so, as he stood, gazing at the view from the 37th floor, a call came through from reception informing him that his guest, Imelda Burroughs, had arrived. Send her up, he said. When Imelda arrived, she took a seat at the opposite side of his desk. At the opposite side? On the opposite side? Opposite him at the desk? 
I haven't yet established that he has his own private office rather than it being part of an open plan arrangement. I should mention that earlier on, shouldn't I? Make a note of that. Mention at the start of the chapter, the man who gets things wrong has his own office. Right. Hello, she said. Hiya, mate, he said. We're not actually mates yet, she reminded him. This is your opportunity to, what did you say, win me over? That doesn't sound like the sort of thing I would have said, said the man who gets things wrong. Did he actually say that? Let me check. It was only on the last page. There we are. He actually said win you round, so that's pretty much correct. But it stands to reason that she wouldn't quote him word for word. That's not what a real person would do. And we're kind of trying to, a little bit, but not entirely, portray something that might, at first glance, pass for something resembling reality. Even though there is no company called Plant Pot. That still bothers me. But, as I was saying earlier, I can't just pretend it's happening at Google. Because, if I say it's Google, the best case scenario would be, the readers won't like it, they'll be like, that doesn't sound like an accurate reflection of Google's recruitment process. Anyway, a simple Google <laughs> a simple Google search reveals that the creative director of Google's UK division is Maurice Peeblesworthy. I just made that name up because I can't be bothered to Google it. Worst case scenario, Google takes me to court for bringing their company into disrepute. I can wave bye-bye to the millions I've projected to make from this surefire winner. So I'll call the company Plant Pot. It's a compromise, but a necessary one. Anyway. That doesn't sound like the sort of thing I would have said, said the man who gets things wrong. I just have one question, said Imelda. What do you want from me? I want to be friends, he said, that's all. Because you had a crush on me at school? I suppose so. Not because you know me or like the person I am now? Right, I see what you mean. You haven't asked me one single question about me, she said, other than to ask where I worked. And that was only so you could phone my boss and fix up this meeting. Are you interested in any of the things I've done since I left school? People I've met? The man I married? The profession I chose? The two children I gave birth to? The sandwich maker I invented? Or would you prefer to just drool over the teenager you fancied 15 years ago? That would make them both 31, I guess. As good an age as any, I suppose. There you go, listeners. I just randomly selected an age for the central character. And it was largely based on the fact that it seemed to fit quite nicely with that little bit of dialogue. It was like, let's see. She'd been at college, university, qualified as a teacher, got married, had a couple of kids. How long's all that going to take? 15 years sounds reasonable, doesn't it? That's why he's 31. So there you have it. That's one of those decisions that just happens the way it happens. Masterclass. I'm telling you, proper masterclass this is. There's a good expression for you Americans. You might be interested to know that masterclass is one of those expressions that is kind of the key to understanding different types of English accent. North of England, that's where I'm from, we say masterclass. South of England, masterclass. Completely different, right? That in itself is a masterclass slash masterclass on how to talk English like the English do. Right, where were we? Imelda's done a speech about you don't know anything about me and so on and the man who gets things wrong replies What sort of sandwich maker? I'm sorry, she said. What kind of sandwich maker did you invent? He said. I'm interested. You're interested in me, said Imelda, or you're interested in sandwiches? Both, actually, he said. Right, she said. 
I'll do a deal with you. If you manage to win me over, as you put it, I'll tell you all about my sandwich maker. But just to reiterate, I really don't think that you will win me over. I came here today out of interest, that's all. Also, I came here today because I made the mistake of telling you where I work. So my boss told me to come here today. Perhaps I should have nipped this thing in the bud and reported you for what I suspect this is, an abuse of power. Really? said the man who gets things wrong. My God, how awful. I had no idea. I've never been in a powerful position before. Looks like the first chance I got, I messed it right up. I know I'm the man who gets things wrong, but even so. Don't worry, she said. You do seem harmless now that I've met you face to face. As I say, I'm here today because I'm genuinely interested. I'm interested in what the creative director of Plant Pot does with his time in the office. You probably know what I do, having worked in education yourself already. But from my point of view, I'd really like to see what you do. And I'd like to hear what kind of ideas you have to offer in this ideas exchange of ours. The man who gets things wrong clapped his hands together and declared, Excellent! I am very pleased to hear that. I've recently come to a highly significant realisation about myself. I've been living my life all wrong this whole time. Sure, I've been getting things wrong my whole life, but that isn't the wrong part. The wrong part is that I've been getting things wrong by accident and then going, oh well, looks like I've got something wrong like I always do. What I should have been doing is harnessing this power within me, the power of incompetence, and turning it into a force for good. I'd like to say something scientific now, maybe something to do with two negatives turning into a positive or something like that, but I don't know what I'm talking about, but I will do this. And by the way, before I make this grand gesture that I'm about to make, I ought to mention that I am interested in you, Amelda. Not just the sandwich maker you invented, but in the other things you mentioned, your husband, your profession, the people you've met. What else was that? The children I gave birth to? That was it. Children. Get on really well with me. Um, all things to all people, you see. Kids see me as a father figure. Not that your kids will need to. Obviously, they have a father figure, their actual father. Fine, said Imelda. Thanks for making the effort to acknowledge my family. Now, what's this grand gesture you're about to make? Did I say grand gesture, said the man who gets things wrong? What I meant was, this is what I do every day. I'm going to show you how I spend my days. Maybe you'll learn something from it, or maybe you'll just think I'm insane. I'm willing to take that risk. Go ahead, said Imelda. Okay, said the man who gets things wrong. You'll notice there are three small stacks of paper on my desk. The first is a report by Plant Pot's head of marketing, detailing extensive plans to rebrand. The second is a summary of uncompleted projects my predecessor, that is, the previous creative director, was working on prior to his unfortunate death. And the third is a pile of CVs for the recruitment of a new creative consultant to replace the previous creative consultant who apparently died alongside the creative director in the same helicopter crash. Why are they all on paper? said Imelda. Don't you have digital copies? Oh, we did, said the man who gets things wrong. I deleted them this morning. That was a task and a half. Delete the ones on the drive, the ones in the cloud, the backups, email attachment from all parties concerned. It was a lot of effort. Now all that remains is to destroy these copies as well. The man who gets things wrong picked up the phone on his desk and called through to his assistant. Hello, X, he said. Yeah, his assistant's just called X at the moment, listeners. I couldn't be bothered to think of a name at this stage. I really don't want the assistant to be a woman. 
It's just so, you know, olden days. But then if I call him Andrew or something, there'll be a fair-sized handful of the readership going, oh, Andrew, a director's PA, and his name's Andrew. That stopped me in my tracks. And that's the last thing you want when you're telling a story. There shouldn't be any part of the story where the reader has to stop and say, oh, really? Did I read that correctly? Maybe I'll compromise and give the PA a gender-neutral name like Pistachio or Gorgonzola or something. Note to self, Gorgonzola, question mark. Actually, I'm not going to remember what that means when I come back to it. Note to self, PA called Gorgonzola, question mark. No, personal assistant to be... Forget it. The PA's name is Gorgonzola. That's the end of the matter. Hello, Gorgonzola, he said. I have some shredding for you. No problem, said Gorgonzola. These three piles right here? Yes, those three piles right there. Gorgonzola took the three stacks and left the room. Do you mind if I ask why you're doing this? said Imelda. The man who gets things wrong was all ready to deliver a carefully considered response. Something about how doing the wrong thing would inevitably lead to some kind of positive outcome. But then he realised that would not have been a carefully considered response. A carefully considered response would be, this was clearly the wrong thing to do. This is going to make my job much harder, if not impossible. I don't know what I'm doing to begin with. Maybe I should chase after Gorgonzola and say I've made a terrible mistake. So that's what he did. The man who gets things wrong excused himself and ran out of the room. Which direction had Gorgonzola gone in? He had no idea. This building was new to him. Where were the shredders in this place? He ran down a randomly selected corridor shouting the name Gorgonzola at the top of his voice. Right, there you go. That's chapter three. You can probably see where this is going. He's not going to last as creative director of Plant Pot, is he? He'll be moving on to something else and he'll probably get that wrong too. Let's just see what happens. I'll need to decide on the thing that he moves on to getting wrong next. You know, maybe we should take a break from me doing this every week. It's kind of taking over the podcast. I better do something else next week. Yeah, something else. Something else. That sounds exciting, doesn't it, everyone?
Now it's time for this week's guest. We're heading across to San Francisco to talk with Leanne Kelly from New Spell. New Spell recently released the third in a trilogy of EPs, which are called Of Time. We'll hear one of their new tracks in a moment. I think they're one of those bands that are musically very accessible and have a really infectious electro-pop feel. And I do think that they have the potential to be really big. Also, there's a depth to the music and a kind of thoughtful poetry to the lyrics that put them in a class of their own. We had a great conversation. It all got a bit philosophical, which was nice. I kind of went off on one at one point about social media related matters. So uh, watch out for that (laughs) if that's of interest to you. Now, let's listen to New Spell. This track is called Futures Wild.
we started on the Of Time uh, EP project shortly after our bandmate Chris Michaelides decided to leave the group to pursue other career options. And um, we were originally a three-piece, more of a band format with drums, keyboard, and bass. We were leaning a little bit more towards exploring, you know, electronic influenced sounds. And so once he left, we decided, you know, why don't we just go forward with this, with this, with a new sound as a duo, a more electronic um, bass duo. Um, we at that time also started working with uh, producer Max Savage, who really, I really credit him with helping us understand really like what the new spell sound is. He really has encouraged us to take risks and maybe move in different directions. And, and he really, he can hear, you know, a song uh, just with me on piano and kind of hear maybe what the, what the color palette is, what the um, song identity is. Uh, we, we're very closely aligned in terms of uh, music aesthetics. So I would say, you know, on one level, the Of Time series is that journey from, you know, starting as a three-piece through where we are now, which is a two-piece plus producer. Also, you know, the Of Time series gave me a little bit of a theme to work with, a uh, new spell of time. So all of the songs have some sort of time reference in them. If they don't have the word time in them, there is some sort of reference to future or past. And so that kind of gave me a little bit of a creative constraint for my lyrics and for the theme of the music. And then also music in and of itself is an art form that exists in time. And so there's also another layer there. Every time you're listening to a new piece of music, you're in a new spell of time. Um, every moment is a new spell of time, right? So it kind of plays with time in different ways and on different levels. and kind of allowed me to hone my vision. I always have a lot of different ideas and having, having those creative constraints is really helpful for me. Yeah, so there's that. And then musically, I think that you can hear sort of the development of the sound. Just kind of listening to uh, each of them, it feels like each of the EPs in that series has its own kind of musical journey within yeah. like the, the sequence of songs from start to finish. 
Um, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, is, is that, I presume that was something that was kind of consciously planned for it to sound that way and come out that way? I think that just designing the project this way allowed it to, to have that sort of uh, progression. Um, I don't know if we necessarily planned for it to, you know, each, each uh, EP to have its own world, but it ended up that way just because, you know, of time part one was written during a certain period of time and then part two and then part three. So that was by, you know, I wanted to give us room to also, you know, change over time. And so I think that that's, that's also part of um, what went into the decision to make it a three part EP project. What I discovered like almost after the fact is that most of the songs in part one have a little bit more of a uh, backward focused gaze sort of looking past and then part two ended up being more about the present part three ends up sort of taking a casting its gaze towards the future a little bit so that was uh unintentional as well but um it was something that i noticed and thought it was pretty cool so there were definitely a lot of different forces that went into that went into creating this project. Cool, that, that's interesting. The way that it that it just turned out that way to have those thematic things yeah. uh, in one, two, and three. Um, yeah. But I guess that's that's just the way things come out, isn't it? Sometimes it's just that you're not necessarily planning to do it that way. It's just kind of uh, yeah, it just emerges uh, on its own, like it's got a life force of its own. Absolutely, absolutely. So we're really happy that it, you know, I'm, I'm happy. I, I keep on discovering new things about the EP as well myself. So really kind of letting the album unravel over time in a way that was very natural allowed it to, to, to take on these new meanings. And I, I am particularly interested to know kind of who your kind of musical influences are. And I'm asking that because I can't really tell kind of specifically kind of what kind of stuff you've been listening to and what kind of like particular things you've been influenced by. Yeah. I mean that in the best possible way. Yeah. Um, because you know, it's, it, it's really good that I can't tell because you, know, you know, a lot of things that you might listen to might be very good, but you know, it could be like, you know, he's a really good singer, but you can tell that he's listened to a lot of Bob Dylan his time, you know, whereas right. I listen to your stuff and I, I just can't tell kind of what it is that, where this came from and what kind of influenced your music you see you see what I'm saying yeah absolutely um I think that we we have a lot of different influences I think that some of what unites us is we all both me Jake and Max are all uh into Radiohead we really love Radiohead a lot oh, okay. sort of that that dark sort of um you know just the dark brooding vibe that they have throughout, but also we were, we listened to a lot of Grizzly Bear, um, uh, Little Dragon. This is me and Jake. We, artists that me and Jake connected over, um, Grizzly Bear, Little Dragon, Caribou, Metronomy, LCD Sound System. Um, I love Bjork a lot. Tune Yards also is, is a group that I, that I really appreciate. And then once we started working with uh, Max, who is into bands like Sigur Rós and uh, Son, Son Lux, 
a lot of the same influences, but also introduced me to groups uh, or an artist, artist like uh, Farao. Um, I don't know if I'm saying that right. F-A-R-A-O and Empress of, who I'm a huge fan of as well. So I think that all of our sort of influences tends to be, or the ones that unite us um, tend to be, you know, have electronic influences, but interesting beats and maybe intricate layers. Um, definitely a little bit more of a, of a darker uh, feel, like uh, Portis Head and, and Massive Attack um, are also some influences that all three of us you know, have. Yeah, so just a wide range. I also grew up listening to a lot of, you know, Cat Stevens and, you know, um, you know, Beatles, of course, <laughs> you know, um, but some, some more folk music and um, a lot of female artists like uh, Tori Amos, Fiona Apple. So I think that all of those are kind of weaving in and out um, of our music. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, I mean uh, that that definitely answers my question very nicely. Um, <laughs> kind of, it, it, you're kind of listening to it, and you, you can hear you can hear a little bit of that kind of bulky sort of influence, and yeah, yeah it's kind of it, it's interesting that you mentioned uh, Björk as well because I think that um, kind of with like Björk songs, I think there's a similar sort of uh, sound perhaps, and also there's there's kind of there's darkness to it, but there's also a lot of kind of positivity in it as well. And right. it's like, you can't always tell where it's going to go. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think, you know, that that's something about your music as well, is that you can, uh, you know, you can't always tell where, where the music's going to take you next, which is very nice. Right. It's, it's uh, journey music. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, nice <laughs> one. Yeah, Brilliant. and I would say that, that um, you know, in terms of uh, lyrically, I, I am very heavily influenced by, you know, my day job of being a therapist, a psychotherapist. I, I do, a lot of my writing is, you know, my own explorations of my inner world, but also a really earnest desire to maybe speak to others through music. Music was really helpful to me during tar- dark times of my life. And um, that is really what kind of prompted me to want to begin songwriting in the first place was wow if, if music could really help me like how beautiful would that be if I if a song that I wrote could be you know a bright spot in somebody else's uh, dark time so that was what led me to want to make music and, and also to work in mental health in the first place. Is it kind of a the actual songwriting process is that kind of a, a, a therapeutic process for yourself? I would say so I think you know, when I start writing a song, um, it definitely comes from, for me, a feeling or a mood, um, at, at least when I start working on lyrics. And I think that that's why people connect to art, right, is because it comes from this, this inner place of trying to sort out, you know, trying to create meaning from our, our feelings. So yeah, I would say that it's, that songs start with a feeling for me and, and do, they do help me process. Yeah, I would say that they're therapeutic. Writing music is therapeutic for sure.
I've been thinking a lot lately about the idea of uh, competition and competitiveness. Mm. And um, I have quite recently, I suppose, just come to the conclusion that I've, I've decided that I'm no longer going to consider myself as an artist in competition with anybody else. So mm. as a writer, I'm not in com competition with other writers. As a podcaster, I'm, I'm definitely not in competition with other people who make podcasts. I'm just going to, mm. uh, I've decided that I'm going to do this and I feel a lot better about things. So I think um, it's, it's easy to kind of slip into the, um, uh, the idea of, you know, uh, particularly when you you're looking at social media and stuff like that because I've, I've kind of I'm not on social media anymore um, yeah. which is was a very good move for me as well um, it, and it's just sort of when you see kind of things that other people other people's successes and things like that and you find yourself thinking well how's that guy got that gig you know and um, right. it, it's just unhealthy you know um, right. so I think the, the the healthy thing is just to uh, kind of uh, for me as a person to kind of focus on my own stuff and what other people are doing is it's not irrelevant but it's 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 not my concern kind of how successful other people are and also success isn't the point of the exercise right um, success is something that's beyond your control I'm just wondering what you think of all this yeah I mean I I agree with 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 what you're saying that there's there is kind of um, through social media. I mean, we do connect. It's it does it does provide us an avenue to connect in new ways, um, and especially during times of quarantine. You know, I know that that's been a way to kind of keep track with people. But I also know that in regards to you know music making and being an artist, there is that comparison that happens you go online and you're like oh cool oh well look at look at this thing that this other artist has or or look at their numbers or look at their you know especially when it comes to music you know you go on Spotify and it's all like how many monthly listeners does that person have or how many streams do they have and it it just um it makes the art about something that it's not the most important thing right it makes it into a competition almost. And I don't think that one artist who has X number of listeners, you know, just because they have more is any better necessarily than another artist. Like there's a lot of uh, smaller musicians that I follow where I'm just, you know, their music has, has touched me or, or artists um, where their art has touched me in really profound ways. And they're not huge, you know, blockbuster names or anything, but they're, they're speaking from the heart. And I think that when, as a, as a creator, it's, yeah, I think it's easy to get sidetracked and, and to start to feel like, well, what does, what does my art matter? You know, if it's, you know, not being streamed this amount of time. And I just, I get really frustrated when I, when I see talented musicians or talented artists kind of give up um, because of that because I think that creativity if you're a creative person like you are a creative it doesn't matter who's looking it doesn't matter um, you know how many people are 
streaming it. Um, if you are a creator, you have to create. It's just part of who you are. And I don't think that, you know, the numbers should dissuade anybody from creating. There's, um, I don't know where this quote comes from, but it, at some point I saw we are comparing everybody else's highlight reel to our behind the scenes when it comes to social media, right? So yeah, yeah. We're, you know, we're putting up edited videos or edited photos or edited images or edited works, you know, edited thoughts. We're, we're putting it up a very curated two-dimensional slice to share with others. We're not oftentimes sharing, you know, the struggles, you know, the depression, the anxiety that goes behind it. So all anybody else sees is this glossy vision of you, or all you see is this glossy vision of somebody else, you know, what they've selected to share. And, and that's just like a, a tiny slice of, of the entire person. So I think it's really important to remember that who we are on camera doesn't necessarily reflect who we are or on camera, on social media, who we are behind the scenes. It, I think it also comes down to kind of how do you measure success as well? Because I think um, right. if, somebody, if somebody's successful on social media, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're successful in other areas of the world uh you know some, some people are very good at doing social media and that's that's just the the way that they are wired mm -hmm. i guess <laughs> but um i think i think it's kind of um the, i think the issue that i have with social media and, and one of the one of the main reasons why i came off is that i i'm not a hundred percent against the idea i think there are some great things that you can do with social media as an artist, you know, particularly in terms of engaging directly with your audience. Yes. Um, but I think fundamentally the way that social media platforms are set up is that it's, it's kind of engineered to be kind of one big uh, popularity contest. Yeah, and I was never good at those either. <laughs> <laughs> But you know that's that, exactly that's, what it is. Yeah, and and uh, you know it 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 shouldn't be like that. I think that no. that the 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 good aspects of it could be kind of um, harnessed somehow uh, to. Uh, I don't know. I I think it, it's uh, it, it'd be nice to see some changes made to the way that people do things online. I'm, I'm sure that those changes will happen, but it's difficult to you know. I'm not going to predict. Uh, the future or anything like that but um it just seems to me that the system is wrong at the moment and uh you know yeah. more and more i'm seeing a lot of people just get uh, become disillusioned with it and i think that the, there will be uh here's me predicting the future now that i've said that <laughs> but, um, <laughs> it, it it feels like the tide the, the tide is turning against this sort of thing and yeah. there, there will be something uh you know Hopefully there might be something nicer to take its place. I don't know what that is though. It's just an idea. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the idea of, um, you know, art being a popularity contest. I mean, there's just something very um, beautiful about just 
pure creation, like the impulse to create. I love, you know, for example, things like open mics, you know, where that, that is the thing. The thing is just to create and to share. To have art be measured by likes and shares, you know, when, when bigger artists, I mean, they have huge marketing budgets and, and people behind them. So, so a smaller artist doesn't even stand a chance, you know, so it's, we're comparing ourselves to others, but it's not a level playing field, you know? do have some live performance videos that will be going up on YouTube um, in the next, uh, well, we have two out now, a few more coming out in the next few weeks that were created during quarantine, just right here in our living room, uh, featuring uh, glitch art uh, by an artist called Fetz, F-E-T-Z. And we're working on uh, a remix project, a bunch of remixes of our Of Time tunes, and also creating new music. So, um, oh, and also we just launched a merch uh, store on our Bandcamp page. So we have a few items up. We're going to be releasing a few more in the coming weeks. Um, so please check that out if you like band t-shirts, uh, CDs, or pins, or stickers coming soon.
Thank you for listening. Thanks to Leanne from New Spell. Great guest, great band. All the links to their music can be found in the show notes. Frankburton.co.uk is my website. Check out all the information about my books and my audiobooks and video series, The Ragbang Rambler. It's all brilliant stuff. I will see you very soon. Gorgonzola! Podcast is part of Britpod Scene, an independent network of uniquely British podcasts that's always growing. Check out BritpodScene.com or follow Britpod Scene on Twitter to find out more. <laughs>